You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Welcome to 3AM, where we discuss and dissect the supernatural. I'm one of your hosts, DJ Pasikala. What's the scariest thing that you've encountered? That's been one of our favorite questions for years. 3AM is a result of asking this question over and over again. Stories we share are typically sourced from those we know, our listeners, or personal experience, the validity of which can be determined by you, the listener. While we might not have all the answers, we find the culture and lore surrounding paranormal events and unnatural occurrences fascinating. We hope you enjoy. Bruh, I think this is the last episode of the year. <laughs> it is. What? We made it. Last episode of the decade. I like thinking about the decade. <laughs> it's wild. We're almost in the 20s. That's so crazy. The roaring 20s. <laughs> Have you guys done the 10-year challenge? <laughs> no, not yet. Or even just thought about who you were 10 years ago? Oh, shoot. I thought about what I looked like 10 years ago, but not who I was. Dude. I thought about who I was five years ago, and I'm like drastically different, I feel like. Yeah, Sean has some great uh, decade <laughs> challenge photos that I will put up on the YouTube. Bro, whatever. I was freaking popular. <laughs> now I'm not. Maybe I should go back to what I was doing. Sean was super popular with all the kids at his homeschool. <laughs> Most popular, actually. All-star quarterback. And receiver. <laughs> and, and receiver. <laughs> uh, lawn mowing 101. Anyway. <laughs> Bro, how are you? DJ literally landed back in the mainland five hours ago. Yeah. Because he was hanging out in uh, Hawaii. Nay. <laughs> the Aina. <laughs> the Aina, as those crazy Hawaiians would put it. No, it was good. Hawaii's the same. <laughs> So good. Hawaii's in its own little bubble and 15 years behind. <laughs> in what ways? I'm talking crap on Hawaii. I don't know. Uh, well, there is island mentality, and that exists, I think, on any island. People are super just chill with being chill, and that's chill. And that's all you want to be. <laughs> so, like, why would that be hard for some people? Uh, there is not a lot of opportunity for growth um, like there is here in the lower 48 so that goes as far as education careers so that's why i'm here hmm. and i got none <laughs> <laughs> should go back to the island go back to the island i brought the <laughs> island with me um good things about hawaii and my trip the beaches are still there and still beautiful nice the island is still really pretty but there's so much like movement from people outside of Hawaii wanting to develop more, hmm. more than ever. So you're starting to really know. So I'm wearing it. the right shirt right now. Hey. Keep the country country. Because what good is Hawaii if it's not Hawaii anymore? And with just a bunch of buildings, just a strip mall, just Vegas. strip mall, <clears throat> corporate, or even like more resorts. We have a ton of resorts. I was gonna say, isn't that what Waikiki is right now? Exactly. Yeah. So we gave them that. I think we took it. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. You did take it. Good job. And when I say we, I mean uh, 
Oh, now you're not Japanese. <laughs> so while DJ was in Hawaii, Sean and I and a group of friends went and stayed in a yurt. They're all like, oh, perfect time to go on a trip. <laughs> <laughs> so what's a yurt, Sean? A yurt is a traditional Mongolian home. Are you being serious? Yeah. What the hell? Did you not know that? I didn't know it was a traditional Mongolian home. Yurt is a Mongolian word. No, in the end. That's my Mongolian throat singing, by the way. Blown away. DJ's part Mongolian. The reason I know that is because I went to a Mongolian festival one time. Oh, okay. Normal. I am part Chinese. and Oh, yeah. It's like China got. Well, they're different. So, well. We built some big wall because of them. <laughs> Wait, I thought that was like those monsters from the Great Wall. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Uh, yeah, so you guys went to the yurt. <laughs> and okay, so we went to a yurt. It was about an hour and a half outside of Evanston, Wyoming. And we were supposed to leave here at no later than 10. In so, the morning. In the morning so that we could get there with enough time to hike in daylight. Because I don't know if you know anything about hiking in the snow in the mountains. It's safer to do it in the daytime. <laughs> so we ended up leaving at noon, at least. <laughs> yeah, and then we stopped for like an hour and a half for food. Anyway. And we got caught in a blizzard, so we were going 35 and a 75 mile. Yeah. So literally, we started our hike at like 3, 3 o'clock. And it started... Too close. It started fine. The, the snow was only... I don't know, three or four inches deep, so it wasn't too hard to walk through. Yeah. You guys had snowshoes? Nope. We didn't bring them because last time we didn't need them. We did the same. So this time would be the exact same. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. We did the same (laughs) trip almost the same weekend last year, and we all just carried our snowshoes. Because we're faster without them. Yeah, because it was like we didn't need them at all. Hmm. But this time was really different. (laughs) Almost like weather changes. (laughs) (laughs) What? What? (laughs) This is a fun story. Keep going. And then, so we're on our hike. Uh, last year, we got to stay at the first yurt, so it was like... Two miles. Yeah, but it, it was honestly like right by the trailhead, it felt like. This time, they were all booked up, so we had to stay in almost the furthest yurt. So, four hours later, the sun is completely down. It is pitch black outside, and we are up against like a foot and a half of snow because they stopped grooming the trail. <laughs> and the last mile and a half was straight up a mountain. That last mile took you guys how long? Probably an hour and a half. An hour and a half to do a mile. You usually can walk a mile in like 20 if you're going slug slow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So t- 20 minutes is a usual mile of walking. This took us easily an hour and a half. <laughs> And the trail was, like, not there for some of it. Like, the snow, it, the blizzard had just hit. They didn't groom the trail. There were some parts where there was no trail. And our friend Janelle right behind me was like, is the trail gone? I was like, it, it picks up right up there, just kind of hoping. Lying. And just barely, <laughs> barely within distance, we saw the trail pick up again. I was like, thank goodness. <laughs> Sean and his sense of orientation. He just knew. Yeah. But, uh... So what happened was Sean went ahead and the idea was he would get there and like start the fire. So him and Janelle went ahead. MJ and I, my wife, were trying to wait for Kevin. (laughs) But seriously, we would like wait 30 minutes and in the distance I would just hear like, 
Charlie. <laughs> He's screaming at the top of his lungs. <laughs> and everything's suppressed, like sound-wise. It was in the snow, so like you can't hear a lot. Things and don't echo like they normally do. I was bellowing. Like there's no better word. I was screaming as loud as I could for him, and he wouldn't respond. And uh, so finally, I was like, I think we're close. Let's just go and drop all of our heavy packs, and Sean and I will come back and get Kevin. So I do that. I get there. Sean's built the fire. It's all like nice and warm, and I'm like, Sean, we have to go back for Kevin. (laughs) Sean's like, all right. Puts all his stuff back on. And I was like, he doesn't sound good, man. He's like, because I could hear him like, like I can hear him way back in the trail, and he's like, ah. And he wasn't the only one, too. Like all of y'all sounded like. We were all hurting. Yeah, it was rough. Kevin decided. At one point, one of you started crying, I heard. (laughs) I think it was me, but it was just like (laughs) if they froze instantly. It was, I think, negative four or four degrees. It got down to three degrees. It got down to three degrees Fahrenheit. Fahrenheit. Well, at that point, isn't it the same when it's below zero? Oh, I don't don't know. Yeah, I think so. Us Americans, man. (laughs) We're not with it (laughs) metrically. So anyway... Yeah, it was three degrees Fahrenheit. It's pitch black. I, I, it was the hardest hike I've ever done. It was the most sore I've ever been in a hike, and we've hiked all over the world. So Sean and more I, than Patagonia, yeah, <laughs> easily for me. Patagonia was chill. Like we weren't dragging a foot and a half of snow with every step. Keep in, yeah, keep in mind it's like walking through <laughs> snow <laughs> and, and uphill. Like I didn't mind having the pack on my back because we would dr- leave it down at like the camp area and we'd hike up the mountain and do stuff. So that did, I didn't think Patagonia was that hard. Me neither at all. It like tired me out, but it was not like this was painful. So we go back and um, the la- honestly like the last half mile is super vertical and the yurt is up the top of a mountain. So Sean and I start coming, and it's the first time we've walked downhill in four hours. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this feels so good. <laughs> but we come up to Kevin, and he's like hunched over in the snow, and he hears us and sees us, and he looks up, and his whole face, because he has a beard. It's just ice. Ice. <laughs> and his face was just like... <gasps> <laughs> He's like, oh, oh. <laughs> and he's like, I'm so weak. Like he was like a little beside himself. Oh, that's so sad. And Sean just walked up, took his pack and took it. And he's like, I have to rest and just like falls in the snow. And later he told us he legit was looking for trees to sleep under. He wasn't going to go. He was going to stop or turn around. <laughs> that's how you die. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Also, uh, he texted me that he was like, he said everybody was having a hard time, but he was like the slowest. For sure. uh, For sure. Everyone was having a really hard time. It was not easy. It wasn't easy. No. I just apologized to him. I was like, I'm sorry. I wasn't there to be the worst one (laughs) and boost you a little bit, you know? (sighs) It was definitely, it was definitely one of the toughest hikes I've done. Yeah. That's wild. Uh, Meanwhile, I, I, I woke up on an early Hawaiian morning. The dew just settling on the beautiful green mountains. <laughs> and my best friend and his wife, my childhood best friend and his wife, called me and they're like, let's go to the beach. And I was like, oh, I don't know. It's so early. F you. That's I hate you. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I decided to go and we had a great time. <laughs> you guys had like a party when you were home, a family get together. Guess who catered, bro? Who? Mitsuken. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. What? If you go to Hawaii, if you visit Oahu 
I have a canned email that I just fire off to people because people ask me all the time what to do. So I just have a list of things in a canned email, like places that locals eat, hike, and swim. It's great. Um, one so of the one of the things I have on there under restaurants is a joint called Mitsuken, and it was like our favorite place to go to in high school because it was cheap, super tasty, a ton of food. But it's like five bucks, cash only. They barely speak English. You used to have to like stick your body through like a w- window. <laughs> it's literally a hole in the wall. <laughs> um, they just moved locations a few years ago and renovated and it. it looks nice. But it's the dankest food Yeah, ever. it's like five bucks for the breakfast Ooh. special. It's like a mound of fries. It's a very heavy breakfast. And it's very probably ho- the best chicken I've ever very had. Very Hawaii, life. very local Hawaii kind of food. But it's a mound of fried rice, two eggs of your choice two strips of bacon and three pieces of fried garlic chicken so i remember when i brought all these dudes and janelle and mj kevin all of them last year to hawaii and nolan and some others (laughs) 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 we uh i got them a pan of that fried chicken the the garlic chicken and they weren't even prepared dude it was transformative it was a paradigm shift. <laughs> I watched. I I opened it, and they all took. Oh, cool! Yeah, chicken. And I just stood there and watched as each of them sunk their teeth into this chicken, <laughs> and watched their eyes turn twice the size. We're as not they being dramatic. Are. Like this is real <laughs> life. It is that good. And they all looked at me, look at the chicken, look at each other, and they're like, "Are you guys tasting this?" <laughs> This is the best thing I've ever eaten. It's like, have you ever watched those worth it videos um, where they try different foods at different price points? Mm-hmm. Whenever uh, they get to the highest price point, they play like the piano music and them just like slow motion chewing. That's what it felt like. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a symphony in your mouth. <laughs> yeah. For, for your taste buds. <laughs> Damn. Mm. Bro. Good. We've been talking about a lot of food in these episodes <laughs> <laughs> so y'all welcome <laughs> cool i'm happy to have you back dj happy to be back with you guys we've been working on the episode all day dj hasn't been home literally straight from the airport to my house to recording damn so we've been working all day but it's good to get back in the studio i'm excited to have some stories tonight it's gonna be good um <laughs> should we just should we just jump straight into it yeah story time This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. I have benefited from therapy in a way that it's allowed me to feel a lot more light, lightness in my heart, my head my emotions, if that's something that you are needing, if that's something that's missing, uh, give therapy a try. Give BetterHelp a try. Uh, We want to hook you up um, by getting it off your chest Uh, and it be a little lighter on the wallet. Uh, Go ahead and visit betterhelp.com slash 3am and you can get 10% off your first month. 
Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash 3 a.m. Hi, Vanessa. Hi, Amy. And hi, Hi, True Crime Crime fans. fans. We're the co-hosts of She Goes by Jane. Every week, we'll be covering the story of a missing or unidentified woman in the United States. Stories you may have heard before. And ones whose stories didn't make it into the news. We've been covering these stories for a while. First in Amy's book of poetry, Doe. And then in Vanessa's documentary, She. But now we want to share them with you here on She Goes by Jane. And each week we'll be joined by a special guest who will read a poem in honor of the women we talk about. Can we say who? We can say who. We'll be joined by actresses like Coco Jones and Gabrielle Ruiz. And musicians like Stephanie Quayle and Kelly Moneymaker. Along with authors like Louise Penny and Catherine McKenzie. So check out She Goes by Jane wherever you get your podcasts. Or check out Evergreen Podcasts and their true crime channel, Killer Podcasts. We can't wait to bring you these stories. Roll. Roll. Brought to you by Die Hard Dice. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, this isn't sponsored, but... It's the best Christmas. But like, if you want to, if you want to. But if you're trying to, you know? (laughs) Hit us up. Ten. Oh, crit. Crit. Twenty. Ten. Y'all got to roll again. again. (laughs) Ten. Four. (laughs) So Sean, Sean has to share all the stories tonight. Me, Charles. All right, let's go. <clears throat> Got a couple stories for you tonight. The first one was actually sent to us on Instagram about a week or so ago, and I'm gonna read the story that she sent because I really like the way that she sent it. Do we get to know her name? Yes. So this is from Zony Girl eighty two. Hey. Wait, I've seen her name. I have seen her name, too. Can you show me your photo? It's oh, yeah. a screenshot, though, so I don't have a, a bigger photo. What about her, her first name? Jess. Thanks, Jess. Thank yep. you, Jess. For listening. <laughs> All right. So my mom told me the story when I was in college. Back when I was a teenager and older, we could meet up with her friends at a local Mexican restaurant once a month or so. And she had Mexican restaurants in Arizona. So good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> food bro what is it <laughs> i immediately I had an opinion dog. <laughs> you were about to go off for like 20 minutes okay okay okay, 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 okay. Nah, you can read your story <laughs> i was okay i was just gonna say <laughs> i was just gonna say i'm not a fan of like sit down mexican restaurants mexican food to me is like this isn't supposed to be derogatory but like street food i like holding the burrito in my hand i like <laughs> ordering it from a truck or a cart you know, when it, they try to make it fancy, I don't know. It's not as good to me. Okay, I get that. I have had some bomb ass sit down Mexican food places, but I know what you're saying. Yeah, like it just feels more authentic if it's like there's like a blue tarp over <laughs> <laughs> over the tables or something. <laughs> there's like there's hella spots around my house back in California that are like they do not speak any English. Point at the pictures or point at like. Numero, do, numero dos, por favor. <laughs> <laughs> Para gringos. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so yeah. <laughs> anyway, I know where you're both coming from. Mexican restaurants. I, I have with both. <clears throat> so um, her and her mom would go and meet up with a couple of her mom's old college friends at this old Mexican restaurant. Um, these ladies are like aunties to me, and my mom was just so fun and happy to be surrounded by people she loved, so I really enjoyed going with her. And uh, she could have a margarita or two and relax knowing I was driving. So it's oh, just chill. Win, win. I thought the girl was like 10 and I thought she was having the margaritas. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Well, stop interrupting. 
So on one of these restaurant visits, everyone is chatting and having a good time. And for some reason, one of her friends, and we'll call her Carol, brought up a time they went camping and they all got quiet and thoughtful and said, yeah, I remember. But it's like they didn't really want to talk about it. So after pressuring them for what I felt like a long time, they finally told me. So these friends decided to go up north to go camping for a weekend. Now, Phoenix is really hot, but if you drive a couple hours north, you rise in elevation to the Colorado Plateau. And the temperature drops and there's pines. And so it's a whole different landscape than Phoenix. My mom and her friends loved it up there. So they'd go to this part of the National Forest that some of them are familiar with, though they hadn't camped in this exact spot before. There were five of them. So while three of the women were finishing up setting up tents and stuff, my mom and her friend Carol went into the woods. Carol said they were squatting without eyesight of each other. They were going to the bathroom. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, like she could see my mom's head, but um, they were several yards apart f- for some privacy. Suddenly, Carol said she got this overwhelming feeling of being watched and to get out. Her voice got really firm and directive when she said, get out, when she was telling this story. So she pulled up her pants, and without either of them saying anything to each other, my mom had done the same thing and was quickly heading to camp. They both started jogging towards the campsite. I asked my mom what she felt. She said that she got the feeling that there was something in the woods that wanted to hurt her. I asked her and Carol if they meant like some bad men, aliens, what? (laughs) Carol said, I don't think it was human, but besides that, she didn't know. I asked if she saw anything, and she said that she had this overwhelming feeling to not look behind her. She and my mom also agreed it was like she couldn't look back or confront it, and that it wasn't an animal. They knew not to run away from a predator, and also that the feeling they had wasn't just coming from an internal warning like you might get during a moment you need self-preservation. Carol continued the story. As my mom and Carol approached the camp, they can see everyone is starting to pack up again. My mom said she just started grabbing stuff and throwing it in the back of the Suburban. And without saying a single word the whole time, all five women packed up in just minutes and scrambled into the car and took off from the site. So wait, they're, they, they're like coming back from peeing. They're running their back business, and, and they see everyone else packing up uh, already when they were just setting things up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's uh, stressful, dude. <laughs> Oh, 100%. I can only imagine the feeling. The only word she said as they drove out of there was Carol telling the driver, just go, and go, go, whenever she felt like there uh, needed to be more prompting. Carol said no one turned their heads to look back, and that the driver did look into the mirrors but didn't actually see anything. It wasn't until they were back in the valley of the Phoenix area that they talked. Everyone had been fine and happy looking forward to being there when all of a sudden they got a strong sense to leave. Another friend, Cheryl, said that she noticed the wildlife go silent. And then she got an eerie feeling and didn't want to be there anymore. Another one of the women said the opposite feeling, that she had a rushing sound that felt like the forest was in a way yelling at them. They said without a word, they had all stopped what they were doing, looked at each other, and started packing up. And it was then that my mom and Carol came back and helped. They all had different theories. Carol said that as a nurse, she likes to think of realistic environmental influences like maybe a pressure change or some sort of sound outside of the range of human hearing. 
That's the best explanation she can think of. Even though the weather was nice and they didn't see like a ton of animals also running away or anything like that. She said that she also had the feeling that whatever it was, was focused on her and her friends. She emphasized several times that it was telling her to get out. My mom, who tended to be more spiritual, said that to her it was some sort of message also, like a warning. She was sure that if they had stayed there, something bad was going to happen to them. Note, this friend or this friend group of my mom's was made up of a bunch of young women in in that they met all during uh, college years in the mid-70s. They lived in Arizona and were pretty outdoorsy. Most of them had grown up on farms. And she says, I've known these women my whole life. They are about as down-to-earth as you can get and pretty no-nonsense. Like these were women that were breaking the glass ceiling in their professional lives and running around households and overall were people who didn't take uh, any nonsense. Take or talk any nonsense. Since it was 30 years between when that happened and when they told me the story, they couldn't remember exactly where it happened, only that it was in the Cocachino National Forest. When they told me the story, I thought maybe it's fire in the sky. Now, have you heard of fire in the sky? No. So, supposed alien sightings also in Arizona. Is that the same as the lights in the sky? Not the same as the Phoenix lights. Phoenix lights, though. So, the Phoenix lights there are in the valley. The fire in the sky is closer to Snowflake, Arizona, which is more north. What's up with these Arizona skies? (laughs) Um, Well, I mean, not too much to look at in the desert so they start looking up everyone looks up <laughs> wait so uh, are you is one of them saying that could be a possible source no that's what jess is saying huh. she's thinking fire in the sky which actually supposedly happened in that region in the mid 70s so kind of in the time period kind of in the region but my mom said that they just didn't know what it was and it was a while before they went camping again and never to that area again <laughs> That sounds cinematic. For real. Yeah. It sounds... Both sides. Like the the part where it goes completely silent and the one where there's like the rushing of sound. Between the two people, I thought it was weird that they both got different mm-hmm. feelings. Opposite. Yeah. Polar. That quieting of the forest has a name. What's that? I don't know. Can you look it up? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like the something something effect. It sounds like a... I, I've seen that in a couple places. One, the first one that comes to mind is the stairs in the woods. <sighs> if you don't know about that, look it up. But the stairs, the staircases in the woods, there's multiple accounts of people finding just that. So we'll we'll try and link to it on our Instagram. But it, it is one of the most notorious, like scary story threads on the internet. And it's a retired search and rescue officer who had experienced all these different experiences. Like and, deep in the woods. Mm-hmm. It's just compiled short stories. And then he started sharing them with other search and rescue officers, and he compiled all these stories. Mm-hmm. And one of them is a lot of them claim to come upon, I don't know like the best way to explain it, but a staircase in the middle of the woods. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it sounded like it was just copied and pasted from a house without the house being there. Like and, very out of place, yeah, very some, unnatural. Sometimes they were like ornate. Mm-hmm. Um, not like taken over by the forest either. Like clean. Just placed there. Yeah, but I think there's a story of somebody climbing up the stairs and when they got to the top, everything went silent. Didn't like one of the stories 
when they touched the stairs, like their hand got cut off or something. <laughs> Some of them. So a lot of the stories in the thread. I feel like could have actually happened, mm-hmm. but then some of them I feel like might have just been folklore, and that that I remember that one. That one felt to me personally a little more folklorey. Yeah, yeah. But when this guy actually talks about his encounter, is he's with a senior SAR officer, and they get this weird feeling, and they come upon one, and he's looking at it super confused, and basically the senior guy says like, "Never touch them, and never speak of them." And that's like the last they talked about it. Hmm. That feels more real to me. But yeah, did you see what the effect was called? I couldn't find it. I'll have to keep looking. Okay, but like the most freaky part to me is how they all get some feeling and all start packing up. Like it's freaky and also like kind of dope. Yeah, that they were all on the same page in some way, shape, or form. You know, they were in tune. Try to figure out. <coughs> I mean, not like I'm doing a ton of research, but it's just a question. The feeling of being watched. I know we've talked about, it, like, touched on it before, but just like, what, what is that, man? And I feel like I get it a lot when I. Is this weird? I get that feeling when I like climb upstairs. <laughs> but that feeling of being watched from the bottom of the stairs. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I get that a lot. Whenever I go upstairs, I feel like, especially when I'm by myself, I feel like somebody's behind me watching or following me upstairs. Legit. Legit. What? <laughs> Legit, when I was growing up, the most I would ever be afraid is running upstairs. Every time I would run upstairs, like my spidey sense would tingle, like my danger senses would just yeah. go off, and I would just wait for someone to like reach through the banister and grab my feet. So I don't know what that is because I legit had that too. And the faster I would run up the stairs as a kid, the greater that feeling, mm. like the heavier it got. Yeah, I remember for a writing assignment in like seventh grade. I wrote a short story about an entity in the basement that would watch as you turn your way to go up the stairs and would come after you if you didn't oh. go fast enough. <laughs> Don't like that. <laughs> Sean's the author of my childhood fears, bro. <laughs> um, Loki, now as I'm walking to up the stairs and I know no one's behind me, but something could be, I kind of like throw my hands back and flip it off. <laughs> Assert your dominance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you know, um, I recently saw this, but this has been out for a few years now, but just trauma therapists and medical experts have expanded the, I guess, the trauma response model beyond fight or flight. Hmm. So there's more? Mm-hmm. It better be an They've F. broke it down or more. I'll be pissed. <laughs> it's weird. I looked up several articles and they all came out to like the same five but different names. But the first one I read is just the one I'm going with and unfortunately, they don't follow the F Damn it. rule. But it's fight, flight, Freeze, submit, or attach. Attach. That one seems the one that's out of place. What does attach mean? Attach, the first example I think of, and I don't know if this is exactly what they had in mind, but attach, I think of like people who fall into cults. Mm. Like I, like on the plane ride over to Hawaii, I watched uh, Bad Times at the El Royale. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. came out earlier this year. I've never seen it. Have you seen it? No, I haven't. Charles has seen it. It's fun. It's really good. I, I'd suggest it. It's, it's long. There's a lot of dialogue, but I was super engaged the whole time. All right. This isn't a huge spoiler, but there is a cult involved. Mm-hmm. And like one of, the, one of the girls like is in love with the cult leader, despite how sick he is and like gets into people's heads and so manipulative, I think. 
I mean, at one point, I feel like she had to have been scared and just decided, you know, if I attach myself to this. Hmm, yeah, I guess that makes sense. I too can become like him and people are scared of me. I don't know Yeah, what her motives were behind it or... The way that I was thinking about that was like if someone hit you or like threatened you, like that was the scenario that was going through my mind. So you and just bear hug them or something? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was like, but I mean, that kind of, I don't know. <laughs> Freeze makes sense. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people would fall onto that, uh, under that. Mm-hmm. Jordan. I, <laughs> that's what he does um, when he scare him. Yeah. Fight, flight, freeze, submit, or attach. Submit is another one that makes sense. Yeah. Especially if somebody who like physically looks like can overpower you mm-hmm. and you know you can't get away, like whatever you want, I'll do, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, now I'm kind of like thinking of all kinds of scenarios when like something in life comes at you and you just are like submit, submit or freeze. Like you just don't do anything. Cause I know people personally that just freeze in life. We should just start a self help podcast. Wow. <laughs> Um, guys, no more scary stories. Collab with Dale Carnegie, Brene Brown. I well, actually one of them's dead. But. <laughs> just enrolled in life coaching like Whoa. school. Whoa! And Good, just you started, need it. So yeah, no, <laughs> I'm doing it for me. So <laughs> got you. We can just you know do this whole like that was life very funny, thing. Charles. Thank you, Amy. <laughs> that wasn't. Oh. Well, okay. Sean, I, do I support help, you, though. <laughs> I support you. Okay, there is nothing scarier than when you're a kid and you have to turn off the downstairs lights. That True. is the scariest scenario on this planet. <laughs> have, you, have you had to do that? You 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 slept upstairs. Yeah. I had to do I that. To do I slept that. upstairs. I was the oldest, too, so. Freak, bro. You plan that route. You like stand at the stairs and stare, and you're like, okay, hey, four steps there. I, I load myself up with my Nerf guns. <laughs> Dude, there was one place we lived where we had a spiral staircase. Oh, oh. So that was like even worse. Because, you know, you're like coming around. If you're running from someone, you'd like see them every half turn. You'd be like, oh, oh. <laughs> Just worst case scenario. Oh. Who has a spiral staircase? It was an old A-frame house, <laughs> and I slept in the actual attic of that house. Dang, that's wild. Where was that house? In Kentucky. Nice. Was that the possum trot one? No, it wasn't a possum trot. Mm. So your parents in um, witness protection or... Oh. <laughs> Do we need to cut that? No. <laughs> Suspicious. Very, very, very. Thank you so much, Jess. For sending that. Thank you. Yeah, that was, that cool. was a great story. I don't know what I I don't know how I would react. Well, who are you? To either of those situations. I I think if I was by myself, I would probably freeze and kind of stand my ground and wait it out mm. like till morning or something. I don't know. I could see that. I don't wanna I don't think I would wanna run. Nope. If you think it's like wildlife too, like that could be a bad move. Yeah. Running triggers bears and like any type of big cat, mm-hmm. mountain lions, tigers, stuff. lions. Yeah. Oh, did you see that that post by Nature's Metal today of this mountain lion caught by a trail cam? Uh-uh. It was just an absolute unit. Show us, dude. They're like in their post. They're like, no one was harmed in the taking of this photo, but I'm uh, BRB returning all my camping equipment. Oh my gosh. 
Dude, you just see its muscles on its shoulders. That thing is huge. That's oh my god! Big nope. That thing can clean five times more than I can. <laughs> Not clean. <laughs> like wipe down a house. Not yeah. <laughs> Sorry. You mean like deadlift? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's terrifying looking. It's scary. <sighs> Maybe we'll share it in our story. But yeah. <clears throat> cool. Any more stories from you tonight? I got one more. Whoa. Oh, free. Yes. Cool. Then I'm just going to do one tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Have you guys ever heard of the Brimhall House? Yes. Okay. What have some, you heard? Someone on our Instagram told us to look it up. Really? Yep. I did not see that. I found this after hearing a story about it. Hmm. Someone specifically was like, you guys should look into the Brimhall house. Okay. The Brimhall house is supposedly one of the most haunted houses or haunted mansions in England. I trust an English haunting way more than American haunting. <laughs> it's like... Because they got history, bro. You guys haunting this place? Okay, I, I trust you. <laughs> if you got British ghosts, bro, time to get out, dog. <laughs> so there's supposedly 14 different ghosts in this house. There's a green man who's supposedly the ghost of the gardener that'll walk the grounds. There's a gray lady. There's a white lady... <laughs> There's a little child. I can't remember all the rest. There's 14, though. <laughs> 14? Yeah. They all just share in this house with hopefully not anybody that's living, because if you know there's 14 ghosts, you should not be living there. Do they have any brown ghosts? Uh, Racist uh, ass. Yeah, it's in England. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, these are like colonial times, so. <laughs> no. <laughs> so the one that kind of piqued my interest the most was the white lady. And the story goes, it's called, they actually have a name for this folklore. It's the mistletoe, mistletoe bow is what the story's called. Like boughs of holly. Yeah. Oh. So the story starts with this young woman who gets married to the man who lives here or hits his family home, right? And they have the wedding there at the house and... After the ceremonies and the parties, they choose to play a game of hide-and-seek. So she's the one who gets to go and hide. What's the, it sounding like? What's the movie we just saw? Ready or Not? Yeah, Ready yeah. or Not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I was thinking when I heard this, but then I looked up, like, history. This definitely comes before the movie. So, <laughs> yeah. Damn. <laughs> um, they give her 30 minutes to go and hide. So she leaves. And as she leaves, they wait the 30 minutes and start to scour the house for her. And they can't find her. They look for hours. And they just can't find her. Eventually, after hours onto a day, the uh, newly married husband comes to the realization she's left. Like she just left the house. And they never find her. 50 years later... There is one of the uh, servants that is preparing for another wedding that's going to be held in this mansion. She goes up into the attic to find some linens to kind of cover the tables with. And she finds this old, old chest in the back of the attic that has the super heavy like top to it. And the 
like the little latch had was on it and like holding down so like you couldn't open it. She opens up the latch and lifts up this huge chest top and finds the body of someone who appears to be wearing a wedding dress and holding a mistletoe bow, which is what the had been the traditional like flower to have at the time this one girl was married. And they found her 50 years later. Bro, hide-and-seek champion, dog. (laughs) (laughs) Willing to lay it down. Dedicated, son. That reminds me of the kids that would play hide-and-seek and and hide in the old fridges that lock on themselves. Oh, Mm. yeah. That we talked about. Wow. Straight up, I've heard that. Or it's like a Goosebumps or Are You Afraid of the Dark episode. It might be. I don't know. Because I have, as you're saying that, I like watched, I remember watching that as a child. But yeah, that's great. I did. I didn't realize it came from that house. There's actually, a, I think it was a historian named William Page, was the guy who said that this is probably the location of this story because of all of the ghosts and spirits that haunt the house. Hmm. And I, he has a lot more history behind it as well. But that's kind of how they got that from the Brimhole House. Do you know where in England? I don't. I'd have to look it up. Brimhall House. Hmm. Brimhall just sounds like a UK <laughs> town or something. Anyway, dope, dude. I like Sean's been coming with classic ones, like classic urban legend type. Mm-hmm. Dude, I like the urban legends, though. Like It's cool. I'll keep doing them. I feel like I always do more anecdotal, personal, than Sean has good urban legends and DJ has good... Anyway, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Cultural things. Um, sorry. It's actually called the Brams Hill House. Brams Hill. Not Brim Hall. Brams, Brams Hill. Hill House. Okay. And it's in northeast Hampshire, England, which is northeast somewhere. I don't know exactly. Hmm. We'll have to search the DMs too and see Hampshire. who said to look into that. Uh, I wonder what the stories are of the other ghosts. So that's we just hit one fourteenth of the story. <laughs> yeah. So you have fourteen more stories for us. Fourteen more stories. Here we go. I want to know about this green dude. <laughs> I know that. Gardener. I immediately thought of the Grinch, though. Dude, so. it's the jolly. I green thought of giant. Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> cool. But anyway, I submit these stories for the approval of the Midnight Society, a mm. or the Three A.M. Society. Ooh. Nice. Oh, that's got to be a shirt. Three A.M. Society. I like that. I like that. I, I like, like that. that. I like that. I like that. Um, we have a listener who submitted an MP3. Ooh. And it was about an hour long. Oh, <laughs> what? Uh, and I listened to almost all of it. I didn't listen to the last story because I just wanted to save it. His name's Ethan. And just a heads up for everybody out there. We'll be having him on for a a 3 p.m. episode. So we're excited for that. But just to kind of pepper the Angus. (laughs) I don't know if they're ready for that, (laughs) Doc. Before he gets here and fires up that grill, I want to share one of his stories. It's not... So Ethan is from the state of Maine, and... He and if you've listened to this podcast, you know DJ and I <laughs> have weird, strong desire attractions to, visit Maine. <laughs> to, to the state of Maine. It's weird, but from what he described, a lot of it is true. 
<laughs> like the seaside towns, the bulls of clam chowder. <laughs> but re- but really though, <laughs> but really though, um, but he's born and raised there. His family's still there. Part of my attraction, sorry, to Maine, when the Hatches, my family came over from England. Captain Jeremiah Hatch came from England. He landed in Cape Cod, and there was a Hatch town. So a huge chunk of Cape Cod in Maine used to be Hatch Town, and like that was his home. Hmm. And then Homeboy played the flute in the Revolutionary War on the front line. That's like my great-great-grandpa. <laughs> I literally just, when I was at home, my grandma was telling me, I sat down with her the day before I left, and I hit record on voice memo and just asked her all these questions about our ancestors and genealogy. Oh. And she's all about that stuff. So she was she brought out her folder, her binder, three ring binder <laughs> with all the articles from like the eighteen and nineteen hundreds and the family tree and all these pictures and whatnot. And we also have, I believe, a Jeremiah Hatch or Hatcher. Well, I can't remember one or the other. Bro, are we related? <laughs> are we so cousins? <laughs> um, I, I have to look at it again. Oh my gosh. I'll let you know. If we're related, game over. <laughs> Everything makes sense. <laughs> but that's actually an amazing idea. If you still have your grandparents like living, I recently lost both of my grandparents. So if you have yours, sit them down and press record and just ask them questions. Ask them childhood stories. Ask them anything they know about great grandma, great grandpa, and things like that, because mm-hmm. that stuff will become uh, priceless. Well, yeah, and yeah. if you don't get it, like lost. Mm. So I'm in a fortunate situation where I, I have a great relationship with my grandma, so I'm I was able to sit down with her and take that time. Mm-hmm. So I'll be uploading that too. That's dope. Her, like family tree. <laughs> Do you want to tell us like what you showed us? Uh, I have to go through it again just to make sure it's I don't know get as many of the good details as possible but ethan is from maine <laughs> uh his wife's from maine as as well um he's a nursing student cool dude um but yeah we'll have him on soon but one of the things he shared he's pretty wicked what <laughs> <laughs> like wicked awesome wicked awesome <laughs> is that what they say they um, do say wicked i i, I i'm from the clear opposite side of the country <laughs> That's true. When you guys get together, it'll be like straight opposites, dog. <laughs> I know. Whoa, Uniting together. <laughs> By the power. Okay, I'm really sorry. <laughs> no, his wife are from England. You're good. You're <laughs> good. But he talks a little bit about Maine, just uh, what it's like. And he, he talks about uh, Stephen King <sighs> because Stephen King is also from the state of Maine. And he shared with me a story, and I looked it up online as well, and supposedly... At the age of three or four, Stephen King and his best friend were were playing outside and they were running across the bridge when they were met with a chugga, 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 choo-choo train. (laughs) Okay, wow. And when they saw that train, they hightailed it to the direction that they they came from. Mm -hmm. And they were running and sprinting and they could hear this train getting closer. And young Stephen King got out of the way, turned around, and watched his friend get run over by the train. So a lot of people, Damn. and that it would make sense, you know, attribute that to, you know, some of the 
horror stories <laughs> so that he's written over the, the darker years. Darker elements. Four? Yeah. Four. Young, young kid. Him and his best friend just playing in the woods. <laughs> Way, way to start life, dude. I know. <laughs> Joe, I thought this was going to be like that one movie about those friends. Stand by me. Stand by me, yeah. Who wrote that? I don't know. Hmm. Because literally there's a scene in Stand by Me where they are all walking across this huge long bridge in like this big valley. And all of a sudden, like, I, I can't remember. They like see the rails shake or something or they hear the train. Yeah. And they just turn and they're sprinting and screaming and almost get hit. It was written by Stephen King. I knew it. Really? I knew it because I I wanted to say I think he wrote Stand By Me. Whoa, that's crazy. Yeah, so that must be the inspiration for that. In the movie, no one gets hit. Dang, that would be that's weird that he he put that. I that's true. Like for middle school, I attended a a, my parents put me in a Lutheran school. (laughs) Shout out Lutheran (laughs) stuff. And uh, we had like like a gospel class like once a week. And the Luthies be like that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Luthi, I'm home. <laughs> that's how young that's how young me would say it. <laughs> My lisp. Welcome to three AM. Three <laughs> scary podcast. <laughs> I can't believe that was me, dog. Twenty years ago. <laughs> that twenty year challenge. <laughs> Come full circle. Full kirkle. Um but I remember we watched uh, a short film of this man playing with his son. They were just f- cruising throughout the woods, and they too were on a, a bridge. And a train started coming. And by the time he noticed, his son was too far for him to run and get him out of the way. So he was yelling at him, there's a train behind you. And the kid couldn't hear and didn't notice. And was he deaf? I, well, the the sound <laughs> yes, of the train yes, he was. <laughs> I, or, well, yeah, he. Did, I don't. I don't know, dog. But <laughs> anyway, he. Uh, <laughs> he's like, it's hella loud out here. But he has a lever, like oh, he's right by a lever where he's seen this too. Yes, he can decide whether or not to derail the train or let the train run over his son and save all the people on the train. And he lets he lets the train run over his son, and he just like is like holding the lever and doesn't do anything or something like that, and it's just like no. bawling. It's supposed to be a metaphor for like God the Father and and Jesus Christ, His Son Jesus Christ saving mankind. Nah, bro, I'm pulling that lever. <laughs> Kill all those people I don't know. I think that's like a pretty classic question in ethics class. It is that you, they bring up and discuss. Yeah. Someone asked their four-year-old, like they set up a track and they, they asked their four-year-old, they wanted to see which one they would choose. And the four-year-old just stood there and stared at it and then grabbed the train and like smashed the kid <laughs> and then smashed Ran the whole over. train. <laughs> so he's like, okay. Reckless. <laughs> evil. <laughs> Chaotic evil. Oh, that's so funny. But yeah, he shared that story about Stephen King and I just mind blown almost. That is crazy. So he Ethan does have a lot of personal stories, and in fact, he's also met Stephen King. Wow! And Stephen King like lived in his neighborhood. Oh my gosh! So there's a I'm few times where he, he like met him at like a book signing. Ethan's like a big fan of, of him too. Uh-huh. Um, or saw him like at the mall, saw him like at a coffee shop, and all these things. So like everybody knew like Stephen King and where he lived and all these things. Like everybody, like everybody in the country knew him, and so he was like a almost like a hometown hero, anti cool. anti hero. I don't know, <laughs> but uh, 
yeah, we're excited for that. Um, I do have another story, though. All right, so this story comes from one of my girlfriend's friends at work. So she heard that I, like, we, we do have our, we have 3 a.m. She heard of our <laughs> podcast. <laughs> and uh, she approached my girlfriend and was like, hey, how does it all work? Like, I actually have some scary stories. And my girlfriend was like, cool, send them to me. So she sent she sent me the screenshot of this conversation. So this person's name, we'll call her. We'll call her. Meredith. Meredith. <laughs> Meredith. Uh, so Meredith <laughs> grew up with kind of what we talked about before, like Ikaika in the previous uh, one of our previous episodes called this the gift. Ooh. So she grew up with that same gift. She said she would see different figures, you know, throughout her childhood and growing up. She could see the details in their face. They were different people, males, females, young and old. And she also noted that a lot of them were translucent. I almost think of like the ghosts in like Lord of the Rings or the ghosts in like any movie. (laughs) So just think about that. (laughs) Or like anything. Yeah. And I don't think any of them were necessarily malicious. They just existed. Mm -hmm. You know, she would see them here and there. And they would be confirmed by different people in her life who would, whether it's like a cousin who would sleep over or friends that would come and visit. Later on, they would make comments saying something like, I I think I saw your brother or like some man while we were there. But I I thought she said that. He was out for the weekend. She would say, yeah, he is out for the weekend. It was just us two at the house. So she would receive these confirmations time and time again. But one story that stuck out to her was when she was younger, her parents both worked graveyard shifts. So when their schedules would line up for them to both be out of the house, the parents would send them to her grandparents' house to sleep over, her and her brother, who was also young. And this one time where they slept over, the grandparents would have them sleep on the floor of the living room, I guess on mats or something, or blankets. And her and her brother, Meredith and her brother, were just about finished with everything they were doing and they were getting ready for bed, laying down. And she remembers laying there being fully awake and looking over and seeing that her brother was she thought was sleeping. So she's just laying there. She can't really go to bed. And she's laying on her side and her ear is on the floor. And she says that her grandparents had a basement that they never went down to because it was unfinished. But this one night that they slept over, she said she heard what she could only describe as a party. She said she heard laughing. She heard music. She said that the laughter sounded evil to her. She said she heard fighting. She heard glass and bottles breaking and shattering. And at one point, she consistently heard voices whispering as if they were coming up to the ceiling and saying, Meredith, come down and play with us. (laughs) 
<laughs> and as she had her ear against the floor, cozied up in her blanket, she was just watching her brother. And her brother's eyes were closed. She thought he was sleeping. And she wasn't trying to hear any more of this. So she rolled over on her back. So her ear wasn't on the floor and tried to muffle the sound out until she fell asleep, got too tired, and went to bed. So they wake up in the morning. I and thought you were going to say she rolled over and her brother was on the other side or something. <laughs> I just got ice, bro. Sorry, I just got like ice down my spine. <laughs> um, that would be wild. But they woke up in the morning. Later that day, she asked her brother if he had heard anything, heard anything that night. And he said, well, I remember being awake and laying on my side and my ear was on the floor and I heard voices calling my name to come downstairs and play with them. And they both shared the same experience, but both of their names were called, like personally. Bro, for on the real, I was like, she's sleeping. Like, if you're going to sleep and you're having experience like that, nine times out of ten, you're probably, like, having a dream or something. But the fact that there was somebody <laughs> else to, like, confirm the same situation in their own, yeah. right, with his name being called out. Messes up my whole theory. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to say that they were both sleeping and had the exact same thing happen to them. Because even that's weird. So that was before she even said anything. Like, what happened to her? He was like, this happened. And she was like, well, <laughs> I have a story for you. <laughs> well, looks like we missed out on a bomb-ass party. <laughs> Ugh, that's creepy. But nothing else happened after that, at least like in the house. like They never heard that again when they slept over. But that was, she, she titled it The Paranormal Party. Ooh, did they ever like go downstairs and check if there was like the remains of a like a party or something? Just a single party hat or streamer? I I don't know. That's all I have. A single red balloon? Oh, fuck. (laughs) (laughs) We all float down. Uh, That was just a screenshot that my girlfriend sent me. So that's all the information I have. I haven't been able to contact Meredith, ask her questions. Yeah. But that's the stuff of nightmares as a kid. There's probably 4%. Of a reason why the invitation "come play with me" would ever be okay. I feel like out of that four percent, all of them are not not chill. Like that's a sinister invitation. Ninety six percent of the time, it's such a <laughs> come play with. It's me. sadistic. Yeah, bro. <laughs> no, thank you. Even if you're my friend, I'd be like, I don't know, dude. Wait, why are you asking so creepy? <laughs> <laughs> that's just a short little story, but that got me. It was just one paragraph in. I was already, by the end of that, I was like, whoa. Because like, I remember having sleepovers, and they were all fun. <laughs> that was part of the, part of the 4%. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I was the lucky four. You were the party downstairs. Mm. <laughs> huh. But that's all I got, Stephen King and Meredith. Cool. Thanks, Meredith. Thanks, Stephen King. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, it's me. All right. I got my story from someone on Instagram as well. And her name is Lindsay. And it's weird because in a lot of ways, it's kind of similar to the story you had. 
Ooh. But in some ways, it's different. Same, same, but different. Yeah. Same, same. As my friend Nolan would say, tomato, tomato. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So this takes place in the foothills of North Carolina. And Lindsay said she grew up hearing this story. And ever since she was little, she was obsessed with it. Hmm. Because this story happened to her parents. So she's grilled them for years and asked them all different types of questions. So she said, if you guys have any questions at all, let her know because she probably knows the answer or has asked at least. Mm-hmm. So this happened to her parents on Friday, July 4th, 1980. And it's her two parents and their two friends, Robin and Teresa. So Lindsay's parents were both very tall, very lanky. Teresa was very tall as well. And Robin was 6'3", super burly, super muscular. Robin, a dude. He was a dude. Okay. He had a huge beard, super muscular and strong, 6'3", and had long beard, tied back. Strong? Yeah. So pretty much. Burly? Me. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. So because it was like the 4th of July weekend, they had a long weekend. They decided to go like kind of on a double date camping trip. So they planned it Friday after work. They left and they started to head up to Stone Mountain, North Carolina camp camping grounds. Does that sound familiar? It does sound familiar. Oh, why? I, I don't know why it sounds familiar. Stone Mountain, though, sounds very familiar. Have you ever been to North Carolina? Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Continue, though. Okay. Maybe it'll ring a bell. So it's about an hour drive up to the camping site in Stone Mountain, and they're in this truck that is essentially just a long bench, Um, but they can all fit pretty comfortably right side by side. And they're going to get there at around dusk, and the ranger knows that they're going to be getting there late. So he's (laughs) going to check them in, get them their campsite. So as they pull up, sun's starting to set. It's getting dark. And they pull up to the ranger station and it lightly starts to rain. And um, Lindsay's mom climbs over her husband and goes to the ranger station to find out their spot and looks around and it's deserted. So she comes back and tells him, you know, he's not in there. Oh, he must be somewhere in the campsite, like doing some ranger duties or something. (laughs) Like, okay, we'll just go set up. We really need to set up, get wood do our tent before we start anything else because it's getting dark and it's starting to rain. And then we'll come back and check in. So they're like, okay. Get in the car. They start to drive. And there's about 20 campsites and they're all along this very narrow dirt road that just goes way down into a dead end. And so they're about, I don't know, 50 meters down the dirt road when they come across one of these campsites and there's a raging fire there's a huge tent and there's a picnic table with plates of food on it. And that's weird. And as they pull up, they look inside of the tent expecting to see a family or something. And there's no one there. Well, this is like Pan's Labyrinth. What? Why? When he runs into the food and if you eat it, you stay there forever. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know? so maybe, dude. Oh, the dude with the hands. But they think it's kind of odd. There's plates of food on and there's no one. They can't see. They're looking around. No one. Hmm. So they think, okay, maybe they went to the store to grab tarps because it's it's starting to rain. Yeah. So they're like, that's odd. 
So they keep driving. Yeah, the things you do, right? Love all these justifications. (laughs) (laughs) They're really trying to camp. (laughs) (laughs) So they keep driving, and they get 50 more meters past the abandoned campsite. They can see all the way down the road at the very end in the cul-de-sac, a white truck. And in the bed of the white truck is a matching white camper. And there's a little square window, and there's like light coming out of it. And they think, oh, that must be the ranger. What time of day is this? Well, now it's dark. Okay. But when they got to the ranger station, it was dusk. Okay. Sun was setting. Now it's getting dark, and it's raining harder. So they think, oh, that must be the ranger. Um, let's really quickly go ask him where, where our campsite is so we can set up and, you know, eat and whatnot. So they pull up. And they ask Robin to jump out because he's the biggest guy. And Robin is, like I said, huge. He, she said he used to pick up my mom and uh, Teresa with one arm, like both of them. <laughs> so he's like a big intimidating guy. So they ask him, hey, will you get out and will you go ask like where our spot is? And he's like, yeah, sure, no thing. So he gets out. He walks in front of the car through the beams of light as the rain is coming down. And as he's walking up to the truck, the door swings open wide. Like violently? Yeah. And a six, three foot man steps out. He has a full brimmed hat and a black trench coat. And he steps out, grabs a shovel from the side of his truck and like walks pretty aggressively up to Robin and meets him halfway. So Lindsay's dad rolls down the window so he can hear what they're saying. And Robin's like, Robin says, uh, hey, man, do you know where? And he's cut off. And they're sitting there. They can't see the man's face because of his full-brimmed hat. And they can't really hear him talking, but they can see that he's, like, saying something. And as he's talking, Robin takes, like, a step back. And then the guy with the shovel takes two steps towards him. And Robin turns and sprints back to the car. Jumps in and yells, go, go, drive. Lindsay's dad's like, what's going on? Where's the ranger? He reaches over both the girls, jams the car into reverse, and yells, get the hell out of here. So Lindsay's dad just gasses it. They screech, get back, turn, and start driving away up the road. And the whole time, Robin is looking in all the windows, looking behind his head. He keeps looking back every couple seconds to see if they're being followed. All Robin is saying is, I can't tell anyone. And he refuses to talk. He just keeps saying, get home, go home. So they go home, they park the car, they leave everything in the back of the truck, and they go inside to get sleep. They all fall asleep. Next morning, Lindsay's mom wakes up at 6 a.m. like she always does. She goes into the kitchen, and Robin has seven local newspapers spread out on the table. And before she enters the room, she can hear him saying, it's got to be in here. They have to have found them. And he's just pouring through these papers looking. And she comes in. She questions him. She asks him. And he just says he doesn't remember. So Teresa wakes up. Mom and Teresa go out to the back of the truck. And they lift the tarp to unpack all the camping gear. And a swarm of black flies comes out of the back of the truck. What? Never found the source. What? (laughs) To this day, Robin claims 
He doesn't remember a thing. Doesn't remember the event, doesn't remember going camping, and doesn't remember what the man in the flat-brimmed hat told him. But he remembers the man. Don't remember it. He claims not to remember it. I think he's freezing up right here. I forgot to mention, and it's weird because she forgot to mention this, but the shovel he picked up out of the back of the truck Mm -hmm. had fresh soil all over it. Mm Mm-hmm. Like it had just been used. Okay, so I'll just read what she says. To this day, Robin claims he doesn't remember a thing. He doesn't remember the man or the camping experience at all. He's never told anyone anything. So, like I said, Lindsay's been obsessed with this story. She's looked up missing people reports in the time and in the area. She looked up missing people reports and murders that happened around this time in Stone Mountain, North Carolina, and she hasn't found anything. But now after looking at the map, okay, yeah, so she even like looked at a map, looked at like how the place has changed, and she said there is a big ravine that's past the where the end of the road would have been, uh-huh. and it's completely paved now. So if he w- buried something around there, it's most likely covered up and we'll never know. Mm. One, we'll never know what he was doing digging alone in the woods in the rain. And two, we'll never know what he told Robin that scared him so bad. So I was like, okay, when you ask Robin, like if he remembers, he just straight up says he doesn't remember at all. Do you believe him? And she said, none of us believe him at all. Whatever the man told him, it would have threatened him. Or whatever the man told him, it had to have threatened him and the other's lives so bad and scared him so bad, hands down. She even says like in the 90s, she asked him herself Uh and his whole mood changed. He like stopped. He was like, I don't know. I don't remember any of that. And then when she asked him again, he just straight like looked at her mom and then changed the subject. That was like the last he talked about it. So she's even considered calling the sheriff's department in that area to ask them about the area to see if there's any bodies or anything has ever turned up. Yeah. Um, but she checked the online missings person and the oldest thing that she found is from 1982, two years after the incident. Yeah. So she's like tried to do all the investigating. I don't know if I believe Robin either. This is extremely frustrating to me. Because I also don't believe him. I don't like, think how there's can, like a question of like he's he's simply lying. Because how can it somebody disturbed him? Yeah, how can somebody be so traumatized from something and then have like nothing to back it up? Like, oh, I don't remember what traumatized me, but I know I'm traumatized. I also I'm acting that way. Wonder what could possibly traumatize you that much? Like I'm put, trying to put myself in those shoes. And wondering what could possibly someone say to me that I would never tell you. If his goal is to protect them from something disturbing, right? I could see that. Like that family that wasn't there, what if he had something to do with I it? I was going to say, did they ever find the family or did they find anybody like the rangers who work there? Well, they took off, so they have no idea. But they went to where? They went Back home. home. Oh, yeah. Okay, they went to the home. The, she, the mom woke up in the morning and found him in the newspapers. Yeah, and he's like scouring these newspapers saying, he said, quote, it's got to be in here. They have to have found them. Yeah. So Those are he, our only two clues. 
that we have as what the flat brim or the hat man told him has to have been something about whoever was in that campsite. It has to be because he said they have to have found them. Hmm. They have to have found them. Huh. Unless it was also the ranger and somebody there. I don't know. But it was multiple people. That's crazy imagery. I loved visualizing him walking in the rain, sending this big burly dude to go ask for help from this truck from what they think might be the ranger or something. And as he approaches, this cloaked man comes out dude, with a shovel. And then not too long after is chasing him and he, this burly dude is running away from him. So what could he have said to you that would have scared you that bad? I can't think of anything. Because even if it was like, I killed this family and I just buried them. And you're next. And you're next. That seems like the most likely I would. Why would I withhold that information? I would definitely, I maybe not tell you at the moment and just be like, we need to get out of here. And then when it was all cooled down, I would tell you guys like, maybe this is what he said. If he's like, hi, Robin. I know. That's what I was going to say. The only thing that could scare me that bad is if it were like mad supernatural. Like if he went like, I'm going to kill Teresa and like name the people in the truck. I would be like, that would be pretty, that would be scary. Well, especially if like not even just supernatural, but if it was somebody that they all knew, maybe maybe. he did know him. Maybe he did know him and the, the family did. And he's too scared. Maybe like they're really close with this person. Ah, they trusted him and, or someone they didn't know who knew them. Like, either way, those maybe could be. But even none of those would. The only thing for me is Result in me not like acting that way years, years later. Yeah. And kind of like keeping your head on a swivel, trying to see if anything is following you instead of just the one guy. That also, what if he's talking about what if they found them, like a group of people out there in the woods? This is, or maybe he jumped in his truck and started following them. See, we can go in circles. With this, but that's the most frustrating thing because we have somebody who knows, like Robin. Like when I think you're listening, (laughs) you gotta tell us. Yeah, call in anonymously. (laughs) I I think of one of my really good friends growing up, like about two or three years ago. Her boyfriend had a private pilot's license, so her, her boyfriend, and one of their really good friends frequently would just like go flying around, Mm -hmm. like to different islands and. Yeah, pretty cool. But a few years ago, they got lost at sea and they never found them. I remember like a bunch of my friends from high school. I knew her family, you know, like they spent like a month on the island of Kauai, like looking around the area where they had their last signal, never found any plane wreckage, zero closure. And that sucks. That's rough. But this situation, we have somebody who knows which is even more frustrating. He's to holding me. the closure. So, like, yeah, it's like it's almost like your fault that you know you are like this, and we have to deal with it, and that we had that experience, have no closure with it. Yeah, and it's like you could give me this closure, but you're not doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you guys have any questions for Lindsay? She said she will answer anything. She's like she's grilled all of them, right, for years on this. Yeah, but we're not going to get the answers that we want. And there's nothing that we'll ask that she hasn't already. Yeah, it won't unlock any truth. Dang. That's like a dark fact, but like if someone goes missing, you almost hope that they find a body Mm -hmm. because you need that closure. Yeah. 
And I know there is like the voice of reason saying like, I mean, think about Robin. Like if it was that bad, then try to empathize with him. I don't know, dude. (laughs) 30 years, 40 years later, it can't be that bad anymore. I, yeah, I can't, I seriously cannot imagine anything being told to me that just being said by words. I know he was chased, but like, what if it was like the voice of a demon telling you your name and everyone in the car? And it was like, under the direction of Beelzebub, uh, Lucifer, and Satan, uh, I will keep <laughs> Christ isn't coming. <laughs> yeah. And the devil shall reign. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I can see that maybe. <laughs> I can see that maybe like keeping that to myself. <laughs> and if you ask me what happened, I'd be like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> they have to have Just like them. stuff. <laughs> stuff happened. The way we describe this dude, he just, <laughs> like, the, like the hat man, just like, that dude, that's what neighborhood I, watch. <laughs> when she okay, I got like chills a couple times while reading this, and one of them was she's like he stepped out of the truck with a full brimmed hat. And I, I was knew. like, what I already, the heck? I already knew it was trouble when they saw the light coming out of the truck, and I was like, dude, that's not who they think it is <laughs> or who they hope it is. That's a good one. I know. I really liked it. She she said she has a whole list of stories. So Ooh, if she wants, nice. she can send more. Send all of them is frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> this one's like frustrating in the best way. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. the worst way. Uh, but we got a lot of discussion out of it, and uh, almost sometimes the answer is worse than your imagination. I don't know. Sometimes I feel like it my is. imagination is always worse than the answer. <laughs> Not for me. Like in a movie with a monster, the second they show the monster, I'm like, this movie's dumb. Right, because mm-hmm. your imagination was worse. No, my imagination was better than when they show me what it actually oh, is. Okay. I'm like, lame. We're talking about <laughs> worse as in better, like worse as in scary. <laughs> oh, I, I we're, get, we're talking about the same thing. I get right? you. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I hear you. The first thing I think of is like Split, the movie. Glass, M. Oh, Night, yeah, yeah, yeah. Night Gamelon. Yeah. <laughs> Shame Lama Bong. Yeah, when so-and-so Charles Xavier turns into a monster. <laughs> I get so mad because I was waiting for some cool – like yeah. actual mm-hmm. something, but he's just like some monster. Then I'm like, this sucks, dude. My my example of that is Jeepers Creepers. Like in the beginning when he's just a scarecrow, I'm like, this is scary, bro. And then he sprouts wings and I was like, I ejected the VHS. And I was like, <laughs> I'm, I'm done. <laughs> this is lame. <laughs> but anyway, thanks, Lindsay. Thank you, Lindsay. Thank thanks. you. Shout out, Ethan. Yeah, thank you, Ethan. Meredith. And Meredith. <laughs> and Jess. And Jess. Jess. Yep. We had good ones tonight. I know. That was fun. Purely submissions from. Oh, dude. Listeners. When we reach that point where we can do 100% submissions, that's like, that's that's awesome. Mm-hmm. So thank you guys. Like, this podcast is because of your submissions. Mm-hmm. So thank you. At least this episode. Also, this is the 3 a.m. <laughs> podcast. My name is Charlie. I'm DJ. I'm Sean. <laughs> uh, if you like what you hear, Give us a like, rate us, review us, download, mm. look us up. Merch coming soon. Hey. Patreon's up. Okay. That's it. <laughs> uh, Until next time, uh, trust your gut, watch your back. Bye, love you, be safe. You know, be careful out there. CTR, y'all. <laughs> <laughs>
I'm Richard Serrett. Join me on Strange Planet for in-depth conversations with the world's top paranormal investigators, alien abductees, Bigfoot trackers, monster hunters, time travelers, alternative archaeologists, remote viewers, and more. As I was on the way to Area 51, I was stopping on the side of the road and just taking measurements. And I found this one spot where time slowed down by a fraction of a second. It's not supposed to do that. From the two big categories, animal mutilations and human abductions, you have to conclude that genetic material is being harvested. Well, I reached for a rifle and uh, I, I turned and looked and it was, it was already moving away and it was descending the bluff. Uh, there's no way any human could have went down it. It was probably a 75 degree angle straight down almost. On Richard Serrett's Strange Planet, we're redefining reality. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Do not go any further. Turn around. Go home. Hello, this is Dr. Grande, the host of True Crime Psychology and Personality. On my podcast, I explore and explain the pathology behind some of the most horrendous crimes and those who commit them. We discuss topics like narcissism, psychopathy, sociopathy, and antisocial personality disorder from a scientifically informed perspective. What is a narcissist? How do you spot a sociopath? What signs can you look for to protect yourself from these dangerous personalities? It's not just about the stories, but also the science and psychology behind them. So if you're interested in true crime or mental health, I'd encourage you to give my show a listen wherever you get podcasts.